If you have your Bibles or a mobile device or a Bible there in the pew, let me invite you to take one and turn with me to our New Testament reading. We'll be looking in the book of Romans. Go through the Gospels, the book of Acts, and you'll reach Romans. We'll be reading two passages. First one is in chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. You, therefore, have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge the other, you are condemning yourself, because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere man, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape? God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, tolerance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness leads you towards repentance? But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. God will give to each person according to what he has done. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile but glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile, for God does not show favoritism. Then down in verse 16, this will take place on the day when God will judge men's secrets through Jesus Christ, as my gospel declares. Then if you turn over to chapter 14, We'll be reading verses 9 through 13. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life, so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. You, then, why do you judge your brother? Or why do you look down on your brother? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, As surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will confess to God. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's way. May God bless the reading and the hearing of his word. Well, keep your Bibles out and turn with me to Psalms, the book of Psalms, Psalm 98. Psalm 98 is what we call an enthronement psalm. It may well have been written to commemorate the uh, crowning of a king or to 
reaffirm that particular king's rule and reign in the earth. And I told you last week that today, being Christ the King Sunday, last week we looked at Christ the King as being the generous king, the one who modeled generosity of giving of time and talents and finances to others. And today we're going to be looking at God as king as being the judge, the one who rules and reigns with righteousness, the psalmist says, and with equity. So follow along with me as we read Psalm 98. Sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made his salvation known and revealed his righteousness to the nations. That's the first time we see that word, and we're going to talk a little bit about what it means. He has remembered his love and his faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Burst into jubilant song with music. Make music to the Lord with the harp, with the harp and the sound of singing, with trumpets and with the blast of the shofar or the ram's horn. Shout for joy before the Lord, the King. Let the sea resound and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains sing together for joy. Let them sing before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness. There we see that word the second time. He will judge the world in righteousness and the people's with equity. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, you know, my guess is that one of God's toughest jobs that he has is to be the king who judges his people. That's got to be a pretty tough job to kind of sum up and summarize somebody's life and to, to give some kind of, some kind of sentence, some kind of judgment about how we've lived our lives. You know, the Hebrew word for judge means to govern. In addition to judging, passing down a sentence, the Hebrew word means to judge. It means to govern. It means to rule. It means to reign. So that must be a pretty tough job for God to do. I want to ask Jeff Foster to come up here and join me for just a moment. Jeff is one of our Oakmont members. He is uh, one of our deacons. And recently, Jeff has been elected officially to an eight-year term as a Superior Court judge here in North Carolina. And Jeff, you were actually appointed by the governor back in April, I think, to begin that term and officially elected. So you've got a little experience underneath your belt. A little. And, and, and I just was kind of curious, what have been some of the good things about being a judge, but what have been some of the challenges, some of the tough parts of being a judge? Well, the good, some of the good things have been just getting to work with such a wide variety of people. And I've traveled to 19 counties across the state. And, wow. and uh, so that's been really, really interesting to see how different people uh, perceive things and do things. And, and some of the, the tougher things have been 
you know, passing sentences and, and entering sentences against people who have, who have violated the law when you have to send them to jail or, or put them in a situation that they don't want to be in. And those have been the tougher, some of the tougher you, parts. You know, you and I talked early on because not too long after you had been uh, a Superior Court judge, you got a little bit of criticism for a sentence you handed down. And the reality is you didn't have any choice, did you? That's right. B based on the law, you gave the lightest sentence possible. That's right. And, you know, uh, the, there are situations that judges are in where you don't have a choice. Uh, if someone is convicted of an offense, uh, there's a sentence prescribed, and mm -hmm. a judge's duty is to follow the law and, and uh, invoke that sentence. So in other words, you can't make up your own rules along the way. That's right. Generally, I mean, I mean there are some times when you have some len leniency and some discretion but most of the time, you got to follow the law. Generally, we, we have some discretion in certain areas, but but fundamentally, the law is laid out by the legislature, and and judges are required to to do their job within the boundaries that the legislature sets yeah. up. One of the things you and I talked about is has this experience of being a judge given you any insight into what it must be like for God to have to look on us and judge us. Um, First of all, I don't want that job. <laughs> but, but, you know, there's a charge that I read to the jury uh, when, when they're coming in, and I tell them that they, cannot, they must follow the law as I give it to them and not as they might like it to be because justice requires that all persons before the court be treated the same. And, and, I, and I see that, I guess, is, you know, I'm sure God doesn't enjoy uh, some of the decisions he has to make about his people. And when we're judged, I know he's not going to enjoy that. I don't enjoy sending people to prison, but, but the law dictates, and God, I think God's law dictates sometimes that certain things have to happen as a consequence of what, how we live our lives. In some ways, isn't it true that you really don't sentence someone and judge someone? They, they do themselves, that's the, right. The, I mean, it, it kind of is something that they bring on themselves. That's right. And, and I kind of wonder if, if, if it's a little bit that way with God in us. Well, I, yeah. I mean, God gives us every opportunity to, uh, to accept grace and to do things the way he wants us to do them. And, and if we reject them, just like people who don't follow the law here, uh, there are consequences that come with that. Yeah. No matter how much you love someone, consequences sometimes cannot be avoided. And I think that's Kind of the way God feels. The, the law of, of natural consequences is in force, isn't it? It is. It really it is. is. Well, Jeff, thanks for just chatting with us this morning and kind of setting the stage. Jeff uh, sings in our Emerge worship team at 11, so I'm going to let you go back and, and uh, get ready for that. But Jeff, thanks for coming in and letting us talk to you for just a moment. Well, we've read some texts this morning out of Romans and there are certainly other texts that Paul wrote. We could have read some words from Jesus. In fact, in just a few minutes, we're going to see some words from Jesus. And the psalmist here talks about God being the king who is the judge, who rules and governs and reigns with righteousness and equity. So we're going to kind of break some of that down and see if we can get a feel for what the Scripture has to say about God as the king who judges us. So I want to put a few things on the screen this morning and kind of walk you through what I think is some good sound biblical teaching on God as king. The first thing that I think is really important to get in our minds is that God through Christ is the judge. 
Now, we have human judges like Jeff Foster, a superior court judge. But sometimes, because we're human, we get a little confused. And when it comes to assessing other people's lives, we sometimes think that God perhaps has assigned the role to us to judge other people. And ultimately, when it comes to one's spiritual life and how he or she has lived, fought, acted, the attitudes that we've had, ultimately, it's really clear in Scripture that God is the judge and not us. So I just wanted us to start with that this morning. God, through Christ, is the judge. It's not a role or a responsibility that God has assigned to us. It's one that he's going to take on himself. Number two, every person, regardless of his or her religious, ethnic, racial, gender, socioeconomic, or educational background, will give an account of his or her life before Christ. Now, the text that we read this morning makes it really clear that God doesn't show any partiality. He doesn't show any favoritism. The text, says, the text uses the word all, or depending on your translation, everyone will stand or make an appearance before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, the last time I checked my dictionary, the word all, A-L-L, was a pretty inclusive term. It didn't leave anyone out. And sometimes it's really easy for us to think, well, God's going to take care of all those folks in the Middle East. God's going to take care of the folks in South America. God will judge and take care of the folks in China or in North or South Korea, Iraq. Iran. God will take care of the folks down in Mexico. God will take care of the Canadians. But you know, we Americans, we're God's chosen people. He'll treat us okay. It's easy to sometimes to buy into the thought of American exceptionalism, that we're God's chosen people, that, that we can kind of slide by sometimes. And the fact is, God's going to even, join, even judge people who are in America. He's even going to judge Protestant Americans. He's even going to judge Protestant Baptist Americans. Yeah, you're going to be included, and so am I. We need to remember that the text tells us that we all stand before the judgment seat of Christ and God's going to check out our attitudes, our biases, our prejudice. He's going to check out our actions and our behavior, our thinking. He's even going to judge the secrets of our hearts that we think were hidden from everybody else. I was talking to my daughter, Lauren, Yesterday, she lives in Winston-Salem. She works on the campus of Wake Forest University. This past week, she was telling me she pulled into a parking place, space on campus, misjudged the distance between her neighboring car and her car. Put a little scratch on her car and the neighbor's car. 
got out of the car and saw the decal was a student at Wake Forest, put a note on the windshield with the telephone number, call me. So the student called, was very appreciative. Lauren says, we'll make things right. You get an estimate, let us know. It wasn't a major kind of hit, you know, uh, damage, but left a scratch on her car, left a scratch on that car. Campus police was called to appropriately make a report about the accident. And the police officer called my daughter, Lauren, and after they discussed things, he said, I'm really surprised you left a note. She said, well, it was only the right thing to do. I hit the car. I should pay for any damage. He said, well, you know, you might be surprised to hear me say this, but 90% of the time when that happens on our campus, people drive off and they don't leave a note. Every secret, the time that we drove off and thought no one knew, even the secrets of the heart, the text says, will be evaluated and judged and there will be some accountability expected. All right, number three. God's judgment will be most severe on those persons who have done the most judging. Romans chapter 2 that we read this morning references that, but so do some words from Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount. Listen to what Jesus had to say in Matthew chapter 7. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured toward you. You know what a tape measure is, don't you? Yardstick, measuring cup when you cook. The same measure of judgmentalism that you have against other people is going to be the same measure that God, according to Jesus, is going to extend to you. Do you suppose that at it, in eternity, that maybe God's going to have a special conversation with each of us about our judgmental attitudes towards others' sins that somehow, miraculously, seem to bypass our own sin. You think that could be the case? Number four, God's judgment will make right all things for all people. Now, when you read the text, Psalm 98, it says that God as king will judge his people and judge the earth, first of all, with righteousness. That's the word that's used. And then the second word is equity. Now, the word righteousness means God's going to make things right. At those places where there has been injustice, in those spots where there has been unfairness, in those places in people's lives where there have been hurt and pain and wounds, God's going to make those things right. That's what it means to judge with righteousness. And then he's going to judge, the text says, with equity. That means that God is going to bring clarity to those gray places in your life and my life 
that we're trying to decide, is it right or is it wrong? Is it good or is it bad? God is going to judge with equity. He's going to apply the same standard and make things crystal clear for all people, not just a few people, but all people. See, one of the realities of the fact that we live in a fallen world is that God created everything good, Genesis 1 and 2 tells us, and then Genesis 3 occurred. And everything that God made that was good, the reality is that you and I have distorted it, we've twisted it, and we've perverted it. But the fact is, God is going to come in one day with righteousness and with equity, and he's going to make crystal clear what it is that's really right that we thought was wrong, and he's going to make very clear what was wrong that we thought was right. Because in our humanity, we live in a gray world at times. And part of what God is going to do, the text tells us, is he's not only going to, to tell us that we've been bad about things, he really is going to affirm the good stuff that we've woven into the fabric of the character of our souls. I, I ran into an English professor that I had at NC State University about two weeks ago. I hadn't seen him in about 15 or 20 years. He's no longer teaching. He hasn't been teaching for many years. And in fact, uh, he, he really has become, I mean, I'm not exaggerating when I tell you this, he's really become a world-famous speaker. He's spoken in countries all over the world. He speaks around the country and certainly in North Carolina. And I was coming back from a two-day continuing education event and stopped in on a Tuesday night to have supper with my mom at the retirement center where she lives in Raleigh. And he was going to be speaking there that night. And I couldn't stay on to hear him, unfortunately. But would you believe it? I ran into him in the parking lot. And we had a chance to talk for about three or four minutes before he went in. And we've even made plans to hopefully... Uh, next time I'm in Raleigh, have lunch together. But, but one of the things I loved, his name is Elliot Engel. One of the things I loved about Dr. Engel as a professor is that when you took a test under him or you wrote a paper, he didn't just focus on all the stuff you'd done wrong. All the information that you had put on the test that was incorrect, all the things that you'd placed in the paper that wasn't grammatically correct or wasn't factually corrected, correct that needed to be amended. What he did so beautifully was build you up and tell you what you had done right in the learning process. And part of God's judgment is designed in this life and in the life to come to affirm what you and I have woven into the fabric of our souls as our character in Christ. So that's the fourth thing is that God is going to make all things right. He's going to make all things crystal clear. He's going to judge the world with righteousness and equity and it's going to be a same standard applied to all, not just a few. And the last thing about God's, uh, about the biblical perspective on God's judgment. God's judgment filtered through his truth really does have an element of kindness and mercy and patience that's designed to lead us back to him 
through repentance. Now, that's kind of a mouthful of stuff there. God's judgment, always filtered through his truth, first of all, has an element of kindness, has an element of mercy and patience. The Romans text suggested that even in this life, God is working on us in his judgment. That he just doesn't throw the book at us when we stand before him in his courtroom the first time we mess up. God's judgment is designed to begin in this life right now, and it's designed to be a very patient, kind, gracious, love-filled, forgiveness-filled judgment designed to bring us back to Him. What God ultimately wants to see in us is repentance. And that begins to happen right now when the Holy Spirit speaks to you and there is something in your life in your attitude in your actions in your thinking and the spirit begins to help you get some clarity to see that where you are does not align with where God is God's trying to create a sense of repentance now that that word repentance is an interesting word because a lot of us think of repentance as being something that means we feel sorry about something we've done or said and it certainly can include that when you've done something that has done harm to yourself or another person or to God, you ought to feel bad about it. You ought to feel sorry. You ought to have deep regret. But the biblical word for repentance means a couple of things. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word actually means to turn or return. You're going in one direction and you do a complete 180 and go in another direction. You've been convinced that your path has taken you away from God, you want to come back home to Him. The New Testament word for repentance, metanoia, means to have a change of mind or a change of heart. The Holy Spirit has so begun to work in your mind and you were so convinced that this is the way you ought to be or to think or to do, and the Spirit helps you to change your mind and have a change of heart. So you see, part of what God is trying to do is He's trying to bring us back to Him right now. And Lord knows there are tons of morally depraved and evil and wicked people in this world. And if we had our say-so about them, we'd be done with them right now, wouldn't we? But God doesn't think the way you do and the way I do. He's a God of second chances, and that's the reason that he needs to be the judge and not us. Because he's always open to second chances. I want you to see a video for a moment here that I think really puts together the heart of who God is when it comes to judging, governing, ruling, and reigning in his world and relating to us. Last week, I showed you a video from the CBS Evening News. On Friday evening, Steve Hartman does a series called On the Road. And I showed you a video from On the Road last week. I'm going to show you another Steve Hartman On the Road video this morning. And by the way, I just want you to understand, CBS Evening News does not compensate me one dime for showing their videos, okay? I don't get any commissions. But I want you to watch this, and I think maybe you'll get a feel for the kind of heart that God has for you and me when it comes to judgment. 
Sometimes the best way to help someone who has fallen into a hole is not to throw them a rope, but to climb in. Steve Harpin learned this on the road. Inside the county courthouse in Fayetteville, North Carolina, Judge Lou Oliveira made headlines with an unusual decision. You may be seated. A few years ago, Joe Cerna was arrested for drunk driving. As part of his probation, he wasn't allowed to drink. So when he lied about a recent urine test, the judge felt he had no choice. I gave Joe a night in jail because he had to be held accountable. It was just one night, but as he entered the cell, Joe says he knew it would be one of the longest nights of his life. When I walked into the jail cell and they closed the door behind me, I started feeling this um, anxiety. It came back. It came back, a flashback. Retired Army Sergeant First Class Joe Cerna did three tours in Afghanistan and has two Purple Hearts to show for it. The Green Beret survived an IED and a suicide bomber. But he says his scariest moment was the night he was riding in a truck with three other soldiers. What happened? We were, we were following the, the creek and uh, the road gave way. And um, the vehicle went in the creek. Truck started filling with water? Yeah. All hope was lost. Trapped and unable to move, Joe felt the water rising, past his legs, then waist and neck, until finally it stopped at his chin. How many guys got out of that truck? Alive? Yeah. Just me. I was a sole survivor. Joe says it still haunts him. So I suffer from PTSD. Among his issues, a fear of being in small, cramped places. I knew what Joe was going through, and I knew Joe's history, and he had to be held accountable, but I just felt I had to go with him. I felt I had to go with him. And so, a few minutes after Joe was locked up, Judge Lou Oliveira surprised the man he sent to jail by joining him for the entire night. We ate meatloaf, and uh, we talked about a lot of things. We talked about our families. And the walls got further apart? The walls just got, they, they, they didn't exist anymore. He brought me back to North Carolina from being in a truck in Afghanistan. That meant so much to me, sir. I know. This week, Joe promised the judge no more mess-ups. I don't want to let you down, ever. It's not how law and order usually works. Right, sir. But sometimes jail is not what a man needs. Sometimes the best sentence love you. I love you, is compassion. Thank you for believing me. Steve Hartman, on the road, in Fayetteville, North Carolina. Thank you, sir. And compassion heals. You know, John's Gospel says, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Or if you really play with that Greek word, you could translate it, the Word became flesh and pitched His tent among us. God demonstrated the depth of His loving, gracious judgment or governance of the world by sending His own Son to spend the night in jail with us, to bring us to accountability, to bring us back to Him, to repentance. This morning, we're going to sing a hymn, Lord, I'm Coming Home. It's in your hymnal, number 490. 
And as we sing that hymn together, what are some of those ways that you need to come back home to God? What are some of those ways that God, out of His mercy and His grace, is calling you to change your mind, to change your heart, to turn, and to come back to Him? Maybe, maybe you've already made that decision to be a follower of Christ. Maybe you haven't. This morning could be that time in which you might want to come and say, I want to make Jesus the Lord and Savior of my life. Maybe you've been through the Oakmont 101 class, our membership class, and you're ready to become a part of the Oakmont Church family. We invite you to go back to light a candle, to leave a prayer request, to, light a, uh, to, to write a, uh, a prayer to God and leave it there at one of our prayer stations. And of course, as you've already seen the video about the North Carolina Baptist Children's Homes, we'd invite you to move from where you'll be standing to sing and to bring a gift that will be directed towards the good work of the children's home. So let's stand and let's sing and you respond as God leads you.